Welcome to the Coventry Vineyard Podcast. Wherever and whenever you're listening, we hope you're blessed by this message. If you want to find out more about our church or speak with someone about Jesus, head to coventryvineyard.org. So, I don't know about you, but I am easily distracted. I am easily moved from my focus on what's important to things which can create anxiety and which can keep me unfruitful. And today, in the passage we're going to be looking at, it's in Matthew 17, we're going to be looking at a glimpse of glory, a call to listen, and a path to walk. So if you're making notes, and if you've got your Bible open, you might want to be open in Matthew 17. And we're going to look at the first sort of nine verses or so. Um, you can get your phone out, um, but it's not really, at this moment, it's not really for Facebook or whatever. This moment is for listening to me, but hopefully listening to the Holy Spirit. So I lose focus all the time. If I'm trying to work, I just continually lose focus on things. And this series is all about focusing our attention once again on the King and his kingdom. And so when I feel the noise of life assaulting my soul, I get away from the world in order to be with Jesus to hear his voice and then re-engage with the world. And that's partly what Sundays are all about. That it should be a little bit like a mountaintop experience. It takes some effort to get here. So well done, you got here. But there should be something about a Sunday morning where you're experiencing God's presence, that you're hearing his voice. But as we'll see, we don't stay on the mountaintop. We move on uh, from there. Now, throughout history... Followers of Jesus have used the power of retreat to hear God's voice and reprioritize that which is most important. So if you're feeling lost or burnt out, if you're feeling overwhelmed or anxious, if you're feeling disappointed or confused, if you're feeling far from God or doubtful of your faith in Jesus, then this talk is for you. Hopefully, I've included everybody there. So I love mountains. Um, This is a photo, one of my favourite photos of mine. I had this whole view, and I can't remember what it was. It's some big horseshoe uh, valley up in Yorkshire. I had the whole place to myself um, for about an hour. Uh, I say to myself, that was a moment where I felt God's presence really close to me. And I've climbed a few mountains in my life, mostly with... Danny. Um, so this is Trivan uh, in Wales, but we've climbed Ben Nevis, Scarfell Pike, and Snowdon. I think Danny was six when we did Snowdon in the snow. And then we recently climbed up a mountain called Ben Moor in southwest Scotland. And the thing about mountains is we all love the view from the mountain top, but we don't always enjoy the journey up there. It can be hard work thing is if you want the mountaintop experience then you have to put in the effort unless you take a train um, which you can do on some mountains now we enjoy mountaintop experiences but for most of the time it feels like we're living in the valley and as disciples and as followers as followers or apprentices of Jesus we live a life that is full of ups and downs we have those wonderful views those mountaintop 
beautiful moments, but we also have those difficulties and challenges. Sometimes what we call, call the now and the not yet. And so in this passage, we're going to be looking at how Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his uh, closest uh, disciples. So if you've got a Bible, turn to uh, Matthew 17, verse 1. So it says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Now, Matthew does not tell us the name of the mountain, but it was likely to have been either Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon, more likely Mount Hermon, because that was near to Caesarea Philippi, which is where the previous scene in Matthew 16 took place. And the Bible is littered with mountains. You've got Mount Carmel, Mount Sinai, Mount Moriah, uh, Mount Horeb, and all of these were locations of significant events. All were places where God met with someone in a real and life-changing way. And so God meets us on the mountaintop, but he's also there with us in the valley. Now, in Matthew alone, we've explored how Jesus was tempted uh, on a mountaintop in Matthew 4, how Jesus taught from a mountainside in Matthew 5 and 7, and how Jesus healed people on a mountainside in Matthew 15. And Jesus often went away by himself to the mountains, but this time he takes his three closest friends with him. And there's three things I want us to take out from this story today. It's a glimpse of Jesus, a call to listen, and a path to take. So first of all, see, disciples see a glimpse of the real Jesus. Throughout history, people have gone up a mountainside to listen to God's voice. For example, Moses went up a mountain into the cloud to hear the voice of God. And now the disciples were led by Jesus to hear God's voice and see a glorious vision of the real Jesus. It says in verse 2, there he was transfigured before them. And the word there is uh, metamorpho, which is also used transformed, where we get the word metamorphosis. He was changed before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a really mysterious part of the Gospels. Now, Matthew, Mark and Luke all share this same story. Sorry, I pressed it just as you guys did. Um, they saw Jesus for who he really was. Uh, so the disciples were with him. They saw Jesus for who he, who he really was. This experience changed their view of Jesus. They saw something about how, who Jesus was on the inside. What was hidden before was now made visible. What was invisible was made visible. They saw Jesus as God in human form. And these disciples saw Jesus in the full glory of his humanity, but they also see, saw Jesus in the full glory of his divinity on display. And it changed them. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, the disciples saw the one who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being or the exact expression of his nature. 
So what about you? Who do you see Jesus as? Who is Jesus to you? Is he a teacher? Is he a healer? Is he a prophet? Is he a liberator? Is he Messiah? Is he God? See, what they saw and experienced changed everything about their lives. These three men, and actually the rest of the the apprentices, were never really the same. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's because you have seen a glimpse at some point in your life of the real Jesus. The Holy Spirit has shown something of who Jesus is to you. And you've gone, that's enough for me. I'm in, I'm going to follow him. So he's talking with Moses and Elijah. And I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah. I don't know if they had badges or they did like introductions and they sort of went around, yeah, Moses, Elijah. Um, This is a mysterious passage, but most commentators would say that Moses was there and he was symbolic of the law and Elijah was there and he was symbolic of the prophets. But it's not really about Moses and Elijah. It's all about Jesus. And here he is the apex, the summit of human history. The only other thing I'd add to this little bit is who is on this journey up the mountain with you? Are you trying to go up this mountain on your own? Or do you have two or three companions that are with you on the journey? Now, a while ago, we introduced journey groups to have people on the journey with us. That as we're opening up scripture, as we're opening up the Bible, and we're reading and we're having the Holy Spirit teach us that we've got other companions on the journey that are sharing that journey with us. And I'd really recommend you have some people on the journey with you. So the second point is that disciples listen to Jesus. In verse 4, it says, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Now, Peter often would sort of start saying something without really realising what he was saying. He says, if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I quite like the way how Peter says, if you wish. But then he goes off and says, okay, I need to do something. I need to build something. I need to make something happen for this moment. Um, He wants to kind of build this sort of tabernacle for the presence of God. It's like, let's stay here on the mountainside and let's build something as a testimony to it. And then in verse five, it says, while he was still speaking, a bright bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I think you know you're in trouble when God interrupts you. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And if you remember back to the beginning of Matthew, it's the same voice that was heard from the clouds when Jesus was baptised. This is my son whom I dearly love. I'm pleased with you. And throughout the Bible, the cloud, this bright cloud, represented the glory and the presence of God. A cloud descended on Mount Sinai when Moses met with God to receive the law in Exodus 19. And then you have these words, listen to him. And this echoes Deuteronomy 18.15, which says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, 
from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And really this little part, this bit, listen to him, is the pinnacle of this story. It's the sharp point of this mountaintop summit. And this story is really all about listening to Jesus, who is far more than you think he is. So I was just thinking about what this means to listen. What does it mean to listen? Um, and I was thinking within these three points, there's three little things I want to just bear on with um, listening. See, to listen is a way of hearing the voice of love. In his book, From he- um, Here and Now, Henri Nouwen says, the word obedience comes from the Latin obedir, which means to listen with great attentiveness. Without listening, we become deaf to the voice of love. The Latin word for deaf is surdus. To be completely deaf is to be absurdus. Yes, absurd. When we no longer pray, no longer listen to the voice of love that speaks to us in the moment, our lives become absurd lives in which we are thrown back and forth between the past and the future. So my first point, to listen is a way of hearing the voice of love. And secondly, to listen is a way of waiting on God. It takes time. We have to have that moment. We can't just rush from one thing to the next. We have that moment to let the noise of life subside. I remember being on holiday uh, with the kids a number of years ago. I don't know if you ever played that game in, in a swimming pool where you splash around and you make all the waves and then you all have to be really, really still until it goes completely silent or completely still. There's no ripples on the surface. Sometimes listening is a little bit like that. We just have to wait. And we don't want to wait because we want to hear God's voice now. It's like, okay, go on to the next thing. But to listen is to wait, to have that silent voice of love start speaking to our hearts. Then thirdly, to listen is a way of yielding to God. When we, when we listen, we surrender, we yield. It's not a formula for spiritual formation. There isn't really one particular um, formula, but if it was, it would be something around turn and yield. Something about turning over the illusion of control to God. We listen and obey. To listen to Jesus is to turn and yield. It's not what I will, but what you will be done. It's to let go of our trust structures, the things that we depend on that are not from God. To let go of our desire to uh, control, to let go of power and approval, to let go of our desire to change situations or change people in our favour, to set aside and let go of all that keeps us distracted, all that prevents us from truly committing to this journey of following the king and his kingdom. And it's to open up to the love and presence of God and God's action within us. So we're going to come back to that um, at the end this morning. Now, thirdly, disciples have a path to walk. It says in verse 6, When the disciples heard this, 
They fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. I'd suggest that to listen is also a way to be free from your fears. When you're hearing the voice of God, the anxiety and the fear moves into the background or disappears completely. I love the fact that Jesus goes up to them and he rests his hand on them. That reassurance and just says, do not be afraid. And if you've read the Bible a few times, you know that phrase, do not be afraid, comes up again and again and again because we get so fearful when it comes to life. He says, do not be afraid. The thing about people who are unafraid, I don't know if you've ever experienced people who are unafraid, they are unstoppable. You think of a, a toddler that hasn't quite learnt the fear of things and they're running around. It's like, okay, you, you need to like work out some of these boundaries. But some toddlers are unstoppable because they haven't learnt some of the, the things that, for us, it's like, that's not a good idea. People who are unafraid are unstoppable. We know some people that are living currently in Afghanistan and they've chosen to stay in Afghanistan with all that's going on in that country. And uh, they said to a friend of ours, don't pray that we will be safe. Pray that we will be used powerfully for the kingdom of God. Now that is being unafraid. That's somebody who said, you know what, I've seen something of Jesus. I've listened to that call. I'm serving these people and I'm willing to walk the path that must be taken. It says in verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You see, you can't stay on the mountaintop you have to move forward. You have to come back down at some point. And I wonder what Moses, Elijah and Jesus were talking about. In Luke's gospel, it says that they were talking about the path ahead. They were talking about what was going to happen as Jesus left that mountaintop. Luke tells us that they were talking about Jesus' death and what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You see, Moses was used by God um, to deliver his people from slavery and now Jesus was set to deliver God's people from the sin infection that had contaminated the whole world. This was going to be the great exodus which would liberate all people from the slavery of sin. And the thing about this scene on this mountaintop is it points to another, maybe not mountaintop, but another hill. And so we live in this tension between the now and the not yet. And Jesus' own journey will take him from this holy summit of transfiguration, this glorious moment, to a hill of death and shame. Now, Tom Wright comments, I'm just going to keep on clicking this until we get a blank screen again. Unless you want to advance it to the next one for me. Thank you. Tom Wright comments that this scene of transfiguration offers a strange uh, parallel and contrast to the crucifixion and that we're to hold these two moments these two locations together in our minds see here 
on a mountain is Jesus revealed in glory. And there on a hill, Jesus is revealed in shame. Here, his clothes are shining white. And there they have been stripped off and soldiers have gambled for them. Here, Jesus is flanked by Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest heroes, represented the law and the prophets. And there he is flanked by two criminals, represented the level to which Israel had sunk in rebellion against God. Here, a bright cloud overshadows the whole scene. And there, darkness covers the land. Here, Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is. And there he is hiding in shame after denying he even knows Jesus. Here, a voice from God himself declares that this is his wonderful son. But there on that hill, God is silent. And a pagan soldier declares in surprise, this really was God's son. See, the mountaintop explains the hilltop and vice versa. Tom Wright says, perhaps we only really, really understand either of them when we see them side by side with the other. And then he has this suggestion. Learn to see the glory in the cross. Learn to see the cross in the glory. And you will have begun to bring together the laughter and the tears of the God who hides in the cloud. The God who is to be known in the strange person of Jesus himself. And he goes on to say, this story is about being surprised by the power, love, and beauty of God. But the point of it is that we should learn to recognize that same power, love, and beauty within Jesus, and to listen for it in his voice. And not least, when he tells us, as he told his disciples just before this scene, in Matthew 16, verse 23, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. See, we love it on the mountaintop, but the reality is our day-to-day lives feel a long way from the mountaintop. But we carry something of that with us. So Sunday mornings are partly to be together as a church community, as a family, to hear that voice of love, and then to live out in obedience together as we be disciples and go and make disciples. So what does this story have to say to you this morning? I think there's a couple of things. One is today might be a moment of truth for you, where there's a challenge. Who is this Jesus? Who is he to you? Is he more than a teacher? Is he more than a healer? And if he really is the ancient of days, the creator of all, the invisible God made visible, what would it look like to live as if that were true? Secondly, what does it look like to listen to him? How do you listen to him? I'll make a very practical suggestion. Um, If you are able to get up as early as you can, and I know that's unrealistic if you've got little kids, but find some time before you turn on your phone, before you check the news or Facebook or the weather, to open up your Bible and sit and read and wait and listen. 
to let the noise of the world quiet down. If we take the time to stop and see Jesus for who he really is and to listen to his voice, it would change absolutely everything. You see, to listen to Jesus is to live in the now. It's not going back and forth. To listen to Jesus is to move on from the things which haunt us from our past. To listen to Jesus is to stop worrying about the uncertainty of what will come. To listen to Jesus is to live a life full of meaning and abundance. And to listen to Jesus is to be his disciple and to go and make disciples wherever you are. You see, Jesus is on a journey and he's fixing his eyes on what's to come on the hill of Calvary. But his disciples are, always on, are also on a journey and their journey will continue on after the death, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Their journey will continue after Jesus is no longer with them in person. And their journey, like our journey, will continue with the Holy Spirit, with God's presence with us. And so in the book of Matthew, and we're going to get there at some point next year, probably around Easter. In the book of Matthew, there is a final mountain. And in Matthew 28, we read that the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. tuning in today. We would love to connect with you on a Sunday morning soon. Bless you and have a great week.